Good evening, everyone. I would like to introduce to you all our guest this evening, Sandra Evans Faulkner. She is a writer, author, poet, dancer, and performer who in 1999 was a recipient of an Individual Artist Award in Poetry from the Maryland State Arts Council. Her poems have been published in both national and international journals, including the Oncologist, the Baltimore Review, the Dancing Shadow Review, the Potomac Review, Arts Medica, and Arts and Understanding, among others. Her works have been adapted for the stage for the 1995 Washington, D.C. Playwrights Festival, as well as a 2005 Page to Stage Festival at the John F. Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts. Sandra is also the author of two poetry chapbooks, Absent Sisters and Imagining the World. For the past 18 years, she has been reading her poems in the Baltimore, Washington, Philadelphia area. At such local events as Artscape, the Baltimore Book Festival, Philadelphia Free Library, as well as numerous cafes, bookstores, schools, colleges, fundraisers, special events, and other venues. In addition to her writing life, Sandra is also a dancer and performer, and the founder of Spirit Bound, a healing arts program for the healthcare community. She has graduate degrees in social work and dramatic arts, as well as an MFA in writing poetry from Spalding University. Her newest book of poems, The Six O'Clock Siren, a first personal account of her 2003 battle with breast cancer, has recently been published by Outer Bay Books. Sandra's next book, project is the Lucky Spot Dance, a full-length collection of poems about her late brother, Stephen, which she is currently adapting for the stage. She is also working on a series of poetic monologues about the RMS Titanic. Sandra lives with two kittens, Sonia and Dante, and she teaches dance for my sister's place, a program for Catholic Charities, which is directly across the street from the Enoch Pratt Free Library. It is my pleasure to welcome Sandra Evans Falconer. Thank you, Vivian, and hello, everybody. Welcome to the Pratt and to the poetry reading. I'm, um, I'm really glad uh, folks could come out on a very chilly, um, chilly October evening. Um, I did want to say, um, first, before I get going on the poems, um, my thanks to Judy Cooper for having me here, and um, Teresa and Vivian and Debbie for, um, for the flyers. I didn't have a flyer, so I, I appreciate having one. Um, I do want to single out one very special person in the audience tonight. Um, we could all form a circle around this gentleman, but this is a, a man here who published my very first chapbook in Baltimore many a year ago. The chapbook is called Absent Sisters. And um, this is Sam Schmidt. I don't want to point at you, Sam, too much, but we can <laughs> get all kind of, kind of look at you. Um, I think without Sam, I probably would not have had any sort of substantial literary life in Baltimore. And sometimes you find yourself indebted to people who can help launch you. And Sam was one of those people. So um, 
So I just want to uh, say that about Sam. And I also am going to reserve the right. Sam led a um, wonderful group called the Salt and Bonkers Literary Salon in Fells Point in Minas back in the day. And he was known affectionately by a term I want to share with you, which is the Grand Poobah. So you can call him Sam or that uh, title as well. The Six O'Clock Siren, as you probably know from taking a look at the flyer and the website, and as Vivian said, is the story of what I went through going through breast cancer some seven years ago. And it's not so much the breast cancer or the kind of medical or health care situation that I went through that I want to share with you. It's really what um, really what the book gave me and where the book took me. Um, the book for me is really the gold, if you will, of, of that experience. And that's, that's the part that I want to... Um, to share with you tonight. I'd gone to my um, doctor for a, a follow-up at one point, and he said to me, you know, Sandra, um, cancer is a really bad thing, but you got a book out of it, and in such a way that if there is a gift from any illness that any of us might go through, there is something that you get from it, and that's what I wanted to um, to share with you was the uh, um, was the book the book part. So really my mission tonight with this book is to read about eight or nine poems or so from the Six O'Clock Siren and find the goldest ones I can to, uh, to, um, to share with all of you. And I'm going to um, start out in the book with a, a poem about food. I find that as I read, I'm drawn to the poems around food because it makes me feel good. It makes me feel like I'm on the good side of the muse when I start out with um, with something to eat. And um, also poetry for me, for Sam, probably for, for many of you, is that thing that is really nourishing and food for the soul. So um, this is a dessert. So I guess I'm timing this uh, for anybody who didn't have <laughs> dessert when you had dinner. Um, this is a dessert. Um, here's the poem. It's called Brownies. I want to ask the young woman in the light pink leotard seated next to me in this cafe if the dark hand of breast cancer has ever touched her as she's paying her bill and gathering her things just as Lori and I decide on the brownies and ice cream. When the two large white bowls arrive at our table today, a week after my surgery, on the first day of gorgeous weather, on the first day I've been out, I know I'll finish the brownies and the vanilla ice cream, too, the thin line of syrup pooling a bit in the bottom of the bowl. The syrup's sticky on the spoon, but that's okay. It's sweet, it's harmless, unless I count the calories, of course, which I'll do some other time, but not while Lori and I are eating the most popular item on the menu here, the two of us laughing and talking in front of this window where the cherry trees are blooming all around the park. And the only thing I feel that's touching me now is sun, only the sun. Um, I, I found, um, especially in this book, that um, the muse or the book, I guess, in the meditative part where writing comes from, books seem to reference going back into the past and kind of pulling up an experience 
from the past. You know, a pleasant experience, not so pleasant an experience. And I think in a way, it's maybe a poem's way of kind of grounding you when you're going through something as scary and isolating as cancer, that the poem kind of reaches back into your past and grabs onto something that you've, you've gone through. And I think um, this poem that I'm about to read did that. Um, also, some of you may have heard or read this poem before because it won second prize in the uh, poetry contest in 2008 from the Baltimore Review, a journal some folks may know that's um, published here in Baltimore, so may be uh, known to you already. Um, this is a, a poem excuse me, called Sewing Pattern. The worst part about the biopsy wasn't the injection. It was the way the needle removed those few swirling cells. The sound reminded me of a sewing machine drilling its way along the outer edge of my breast. And sewing is not a good image for me. It takes me back to junior high school a D in home ec class. Even when the other girls showed me, I couldn't thread the bobbin. I cut as close as I could to the pattern on the smooth brown paper, but I wasn't close enough. Bad edges, my teacher said. By mistake, I cut off an apron tie, and then I flunked the final. Even now, 50 years later, if I walk into a craft shop and happen to see those dress patterns piled up along the racks, I turn away. I see the ghosts of shirtwaists I botched back in home ec class, where despite my uneven buttonholes and all my lopsided stitches, I just wanted to know everything would be all right. Um, One of the things that um, I think happens in the course of of any major illness, if you know family members or people who have gone through any serious illness at all, it's very, very isolating, and it's very it's a very scary thing. You can feel that it's just sort of you and your illness, and out here is the rest of the world of which you are not a, a part of that in some sort of um, odd way. And I think there's a tendency to make up some stories for yourself or make up some myths Um, for yourself or invent a new persona to get you through all that. It's almost like you can be in it, but sort of be at a distance from it. And that definitely happened um, to me in in this book. This is a poem set in very ordinary conversation, and I think the title of the poem probably tells you something about me and my myths at the time, but um, it's a short poem, and the title of it is called Wonder Woman. Wednesday night, and I'm making strawberry jello to have tomorrow when I come home from the hospital after the surgery. What are you doing? Lucy asks when she calls earlier. Making jello, I say, bringing the phone into the kitchen where I stand with the one surprisingly solid small box, a giant strawberry pictured on the front. I mix the red powder with water and pour it into the glass dishes on the counter. And I try to tell Lucy how I feel. Whenever I make this, I feel like the heroine of my own story. Plucky girl, warrior queen. The one you always put your hopes on. Oh, I love it, Lucy says. How's the jello? 
A little less shaky, I tell her. Someone asked me if I'm still making jello, and I had to tell them I'm still making jello. The actually the same kind of jello. Um, I, I may uh, be dating myself here with this next poem. I'm just going. There's a little audience question here, just to see who remembers or's heard of. Well, nostalgia trip here. Um, the '70s, the band, the Village People, YMCA. Why? <laughs> Um, not doing that well, but anyway, <laughs> um, I just wanted to uh, to ask that. Though you don't have to admit to uh, knowing that, but um, when I had surgery, I ended up actually having two surgeries. And at the time of the second surgery, um, you at that time you could actually bring in a, a tape or a CD to have them play that in the operating room. They were still able to do that, so I decided I wouldn't do this, and I had a tape, and I just handed it to the OR nurse to, for the staff to play. And um, those of you who know me and Sam will not be surprised at this. I really love disco and never got past Gloria Gaynor, I guess. So disco is part of my own uh, legend. Anyway, so this is a poem that brings together the medical world with the disco world and has the title of, inevitable title here, On the Gurney with the Village People. Um, this was a poem that was actually published in Ars Medica, great little journal. It's in um, Toronto in Canada. And the editor of Ars Medica, who is a physician and who also likes disco, um, wrote me a great letter about wanting to um, put this poem in Ars Medica, which they did. So here's the, um, here's On the Gurney with the Village People. The anesthesiologist walks over to my hospital bed smiling. Well, we had fun, she laughs, meaning the operating room staff who played both sides of the disco tape I brought in for my outpatient surgery. Side two, as I remember, has YMCA, that big 1970s hit by the village people. I hope it was playing when Dr. Hall leaned over my body to cut out the tumor that should never have been there. But now I'm wondering if the young technician hummed to herself over the instrument table or if the scrub nurse tapped her foot even a little as she reached under the metal shelf for another clean towel. Of course, sedation leaves the mind a blank. Not unlike those blanks I get, trying to remember the names of the sweaty young men I danced with years ago, their gorgeous white suits still shining somewhere with my strappy high heels and silver tube top. The disco dance floor has been replaced by the recovery room. But I'm not complaining, not really. Those songs make me smile, just singing those same four letters over and over again. Uh, halfway through um, this book, this is, a, I want to just say, I guess it's a short book of poems, about 33 poems in here, and it's a quick, somehow quick reading book, I think, or I've heard that from um, folks who've read it, but kind of halfway through writing this, I think there is, there all sort of appears a poem whose um, mission, I guess, is to let you kind of rest or take a break and kind of lay yourself, kind of lie down on this poem, and the poem will carry you through wherever it is that you need to go. Um, this was a poem that happened as I was finishing my first radiation treatment. This is the first treatment of about seven weeks of radiation, um, a completely bizarre experience. And um, 
coming out of the office and actually going outside to meet my ride, the poem began kind of shaping itself in my in my ears. I think it's a process that the muse maybe gives you when you are scared to death and very anxious and something needs to ground you, which is, um, I think, for me anyway, kind of the, the mission of, of this poem. This one is called Her Treatment Begins, and it also, I think, is a poem that has an energy that wants to go back into the into the past, which seems to happen, I guess, with a lot of the work. But um, this is Her Treatment Begins. First, I would tell you, you do not need to be afraid. The treatment room is not large. It is completely white, except for a wide green border up by the ceiling, like the color of the sea in late September. Think of fish swimming there. An assistant with a colored pen will draw marks along your breast. Think of diving, high tide, drawing your hair on the back porch in the sun. Across the room from you is a laser beam. And throughout the treatment, the beam stays on. Remember how you rode your bike barefoot all around the lagoon, how the six o'clock siren made the dogs bark. You must lie still, arms raised and crossed over your head. There will be a noise, steady, very loud. Remember music in the evening, drifting out the dining room windows. Then the treatment is over. You can get dressed and go home. Sleep tonight on your good side. And ask this generous world to fold its great wings over you and let you rest. There is a um, strange phenomenon, I think, when you have... Um, gone through treatment, gone through surgery, and emerged from all that, there's sort of a question that presents itself to you, presented itself to me um, many times about how you begin to show who you are in the world after going through this. You don't look the same, hair is not the same, you have a scar where you didn't have a scar, and you are just a different creature out in the world in which we are living and working. so I think this poem came from that and sort of centered itself around actually what, what we wear, I guess the superficialities of, of fashion. It's kind of the, there's a metaphor, I think, in there for me as far as what, um, how, what, it, what your description is of yourself out in the world. Um, this is a poem called Solids. Look at all the solids you bought, Lucy said, when I showed her my new clothes. Solid separates, off-white, black, apricot. Before the surgeries, I used to wear stripes with circles, checks with spangles, prints with flower patterns, just a mishmash of styles running in every direction. A life-threatening illness changes people, Lucy said. I think it's true. I like feeling into my closet for a peach-colored jacket, no dingy stripes to confuse me. I'm a survivor now. I just want to walk into the world and look like I know where I'm going. Both feet hitting the ground. Sturdy. Unsteady. 
solid. One of the things that I um, really enjoy, I guess the mo this would, would be something I enjoy the most about writing and poetry in particular, is how um, strange it can be that unexpected things can show up in, in a poem. Something that you didn't really plan for happens as you're writing. I just credit that to the, um, the muse wanting to surprise you. But um, in this um, next poem called Restoration, two people showed up who I did not expect. One was my plumber, and the other one was my mother. Um, I never thought they would be in the same poem together, but, um, but they are. Also, in this poem, it turned out that I gave my mother the best line in the book. Um, I think if it's your mother, I guess you have to give her the best, uh, the best line in the book. My mom is now 88. She's a 35-year breast cancer survivor, and she lives in an assisted living program in Waterford, Connecticut. When she talks to her friends about her daughter's book, she always says, and I got the best line of dialogue, which she did. So, um, And somewhere in Baltimore, Maryland, there is a plumber named Paul who doesn't know that he's in this poem. So <laughs> it would be a great uh, surprise if I should run into him somewhere again. Um, I'm going to have to say, Paul, I want to tell you, <laughs> you're in the first line of, of, my, of my poem. So here he is. Um, this is called Restoration. Paul, the plumber, comes today to fix what's broken. My John that won't flush, the stopped-up sink, the worn-out cold water valve in the shower. I watch him walk in the door carrying his metal toolbox, and I hear him sigh as he runs back downstairs to get a new piece of pipe out of his truck. Now he's back in the bathroom. Whack, whack, clang, clang, clang. I like looking at that shiny new pipe, knowing whatever's damaged can be repaired. Later today, I go to my last radiation treatment. And over the next few weeks, my body will repair itself slowly, cell by cell. And I'll come home afterwards to hot and cold water again. Do you have happy pipes my mother asks when she calls. Yes, I tell her. The water's flowing. I think everything's okay. Um, a couple more poems. Generally, for me, I, I guess I would describe myself as a pretty um, boring writer in terms of the way in which I work and write. And Sam probably knows this. I am somebody who writes first drafts kind of forever and lots and lots and lots of rewrites and I'm really used to that. You know, I have 30 pieces of paper on the floor and I'm still nowhere near the poem. And occasionally that doesn't happen and I have no idea why. Um, this next poem is the love and romance poem and it just kind of emerged fully formed. I'm not sure what that says about me but the poem just presented itself and I thought, thank God I don't have to work on this for the next six months. Um, but anyway... Um, this is uh, kind of a jazz riff poem, just emerged with its own uh, energy there, and it's called Guidebook. Too bad there isn't a guidebook for women like me ready to date again after surgery. Some kind of brochure that tells you how to lean forward in your seat at a restaurant without pulling too much at the skin over your scar, or how to react when the lacy new bra you bought looks great on the right, terrible on the left, 
or how to really pace yourself when taking off your clothes. The three-inch scar on your breast ticking like a time bomb, well, maybe he'll have a scar too. You'll just be, both of you, mortal human beings, flesh divided by flesh and sewn right back up again into life, into laughter, like when it starts pouring outside and you're hand in hand sprinting for the car with no time to even think about a guidebook and much too busy by then to try to write one. Just before I, I read the uh, last poem I brought with me, this is actually the last, last poem in the book. Um, just a couple of thoughts. This was a um, hard book to end because it's very um, ambiguous to say, how does a story like this end? I mean, I'm standing in front of you tonight. I went through the cancer seven years ago. I can tell you that I am cancer-free at this point, but there is a, um, somewhat of a sword over your head because you don't know if it is gone forever, never have it again, or 15 years from now it resurfaces, that there's just no way to really tell. So it's, it's something that you walk around with um, a very small bell there that can make a, a very large sound. But I think this got resolved for me. You can tell me what you, what you think. But I think this got resolved for me in the very last line of the next poem I'm going to read. I think it's the, the way of, of poetry, maybe any creative self-expression that tries to solve this for you, tries to come to some kind of resolution. And when I have days that are not so good, um, it's that last line that, um, that does stay with me. Um, the other thing, just a commercial announcement here, there's um, soft drinks behind you in case anyone is um, needing uh, Cokes or Pepsis and stuff. And I am um, selling the books um, at uh, Teresa's Managing the, the Desk back there. Um, so I would just invite you to take one home or if you know somebody who is going through this or anything similar to this uh, for them, if, if you wish. Um, I would say... Um, I'm just going to actually grab... Could you just bring me just one of my books for one second? I don't have my book here. <laughs> Sorry, I'm reading from a notebook. Thank you. I just wanted to um, read one tiny little thing to you. Oh, thank you so much. Um, before I read the last poem, I don't know if folks remember um, Gilda Radner, Saturday Night Live. Gilda Radner died of ovarian cancer, a particularly horrendous cancer for women. Um, and I think she fought as long as she could with that very difficult um, thing, but she wrote this book called It's Always Something. And just to share that with you, it, it certainly doesn't have to be cancer. It can be anything. But for all of us, I think just being a human being on the planet, I think it sort of is always something that we're carrying around and trying to overcome and just move, our, move through our lives. Um, in May of this year, I was actually diagnosed with a form of heart disease, which is now being treated. But to me, that's the next always something. Who knows? Um, right now, it is something um, under, under control, but I think that it's always something. Um, factor is uh, maybe... Some kind is some kind of place in all of our lives. Anyway, this is the very brief quote from Gilda Radner before I read the last poem, just to share this with you. Um, she says in here, the goal is to live a full, productive life, even with all that ambiguity, no matter what happens, no matter whether the cancer never flares up again or whether you die, 
the important thing is that the days that you have had, you will have lived. And I am definitely with, uh, with Gilda Radner in that. And just to, um, just to share that quote with you. Going into the last poem here, I guess technically this would be a direct address poem. I think I may have learned that from Sam back in the day. <laughs> so um, uh, Anyway, um, this is the last poem of the book, but I did want to thank everybody for um, coming out and, and hearing these poems, taking a, a night out away from the other things that crowd our lives, and just coming here to the Pratt is a real blessing to read the poems. I'm very glad that I wrote this book, and I'm also very glad that I'm kind of on to the next book, having nothing to do with this. But um, this is a this is that gold thing that I got to uh, from um, from going through breast cancer. This is the last poem. It's called Party 2004. You might think I'm crazy planning now for a party next April, a year since my surgery. But I already have the theme. Living in the spring. What do you think? Jim could decorate the front hall, white tulle, ribbons, big bunches of pink peonies if they're out by then. I wonder if I could get Degas to wear a bow. I think I'll play Verdi for the first arrivals, and later on, when Thomas comes, we'll have Cher and disco so people can dance. Or Lori and I could sing. I could have danced all night, or My Blue Heaven. When it gets dark, we'll turn on the hall Christmas lights and the candles in the bay window. Everybody will be milling around Marn's old steamer trunk, laughing and talking, happy, content. Do you know what I'm saying? And I'll be alive actually living. There'll be lights and music, and nobody will want to say goodnight and go home. So if you call, wondering if it's too late to stop by, I'll say, no, no, come on over. We're still here. We're still here. Thank you, everybody. Thanks so much. Um, I want to thank um, the, I don't know the gentleman who is taping with the technical biz back there, but the gentleman taping with the technical biz, thank you so much for, uh, for taping. And uh, have a safe evening getting home, everybody. Any uh, questions or thoughts? Thus, I, will, um, I will let folks know in case um, you're wondering just the, the process part of things. Um, most of these poems I wrote when I was in graduate school, getting my MFA at, at Spalding University, a very great program, if any of you are looking for a really great writer's um, program. Um, so the poems would be six or seven years old or so. Um, after I graduated from school, I had an agent in California for a while, and she actually marketed this book for me for about four years. It did not find a commercial home, unfortunately, so the book is self-published through Otter Bay Books. They're here in Baltimore. They're up near Hopkins. Um, so 
physical, I guess that's how the um, book came into being. The um, cover here, a friend of mine, a photographer, came over and, and took this picture. It's obviously, I'm, I'm looking in at myself in that mirror. And the words in the mirror, it's hard to see, easier when you have the book in your hands. It says, um, a personal history through breast cancer. This was taken on a very hot night in August and took um, many shootings, I think, to uh, have us feel like we got something. Um, the scarf here is from my belly dance life. I'm also a dancer. <laughs> and I teach belly dance at my sister's place and also do um, some liturgical dance, but I kept the scarf in there because it, it has some, made me feel some uh, healing energy there. And this was shot actually in my room because if you know, if you've been in the hospital situation at all, it becomes very quickly, very impersonal. You sort of are the person in the gown, lying in the bed with the tubes. So I wanted something um, personal in the cover to say, you know, this this is a human being here who has photographs on the walls and a white skirt and, and that kind of stuff. So I would just let you uh, let you know that um, that part of it. Any thoughts from any anyone else or just if it was, if you felt, gee, it's not what I expected in a book about um, cancer or maybe it was? Compared to other things I do, yes. Um, I also, I'm just going to s- tag that a little bit to um, the four mentors that I had at school were a little bit more lyric poets than I am, just sort of by nature. I guess I describe myself with other books I've written, including the one um, Sam published for me, as, as kind of more of a narrative poet. But I, I think at school I was very... Oops. I was very influenced by the um, the mentors. The other um, thing at school that I would just tag to it is that I minored in playwriting, and I got just dialogue, and my ear got a little bit reformed. So they are they're they're short for the kinds of style I guess that I I would have. But I was really um, influenced by the the lyric, the folks who wrote in the lyric voice. So um, you probably know there's a lot of uh, women who've obviously rock stars, presidents' wives, who have gone through breast cancer, many, many, many. Melissa Etheridge, Happy Rockefeller. I mean, it's just all really um, what you could say is more an, an epidemic and medical in the culture for women in our culture. Sandra, how do, you, how do you find that the dance and the poetry relate? Are they just in two different boxes, or is there some way that they, uh, Ooh, do they good. dialogue with each other in some way? Or good what, What's question. the connection there? I think, I guess I would say for me, I'd start with the, um, the, the, the poetry and the writing side of my life was the thing that came first, I guess, when you do the chicken and egg kind of thing. But I was um, dancing through the process of diagnosis and treatment and all the, um, I had kind of five years of follow-up. I was taking a, a drug called tamoxifen, and that meant that I was kind of tied to the medical community. I had a lot of anxiety taking that and going to see doctors pretty regularly, three of them actually, um, and had a, went to a hematologist. I had some problems with my blood and platelets. and So it just kind of went on and on, and to sort of get the anxiety um, under control, I was taking belly dance classes and studied with... Um, a wonderful woman in Washington for two years, and that kind of segued into some sacred dance. And I think just the idea that I could move and perform and kind of get out of my head of writing helped me um, tremendously. And I think they would, for me, they would really be together um, 
And now they seem to be coming together uh, in an unexpected way. I'm going to be um, moving to Portland, Oregon in a couple of months. I'm going to go into a teacher training program out there that uses therapeutic dance for cancer patients. So it may be a predictable thing, but I think just going through cancer, the poetry side of it brought healing into my life, and then it meshed and coalesced with the, with the dance part. So, and it, it freed me up a lot from your head. So, um, so I would say they're definitely tracking each other, absolutely, Bo- um, both of them. And they gave me a different persona. The poem I was reading, the Wonder Woman persona poem, I have a dance name, which is Morgana. So I've moved into a whole, uh, uh, Morgan Le Fay there. Take it, took the whole legend, changed <laughs> it. So anyway, it's given me a new um, persona in that way. But um, I would say they're together now. Um, Johns Hopkins has the Kimmel Cancer Center. Folks may be familiar with that. And uh, I actually had the privilege of dancing there two years ago. Um, I dance with great big performance fans. They're, they're at least two feet. Um, and it was a very um, therapeutic experience. Most of the people couldn't come because they were getting infusion treatments, and I couldn't see their faces in the windows of the Kimmel Cancer Center. All I could see were their arms. So at one point, I was looking up in the Kimmel Cancer Center, and there were about 40 arms in the window doing this to me. And I took my fans, which I had in my hands, large uh, dance fans, and use the fans to wave back to them. So I guess I would see the poetry and the dance as the, I don't know, what did I say, sacred sisters or healing sisters, but that's a, a good question. For me, it's sort of melding um, into two healing places to take myself, so thanks. Well, again, um, really thanks for um, coming out, everybody, and thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everybody.